name of the Father, the Son, Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Uh, thanks a lot for inviting me uh, to uh, to be with you in this coming week. So, hope you can bear with me for a while. Um, we were thinking what would be a beneficial topic or a group of topics, a set of topics that uh, topics. Uh, thinking of food uh, that would be beneficial to to us all, so we can discuss and. Um, At the beginning of a new year, I think that it's always inevitable that we kind of re-evaluate our life and think, how's it going? How's our spiritual life is going? Um, are we moving forward? Are we changing? Are we getting closer to God? And, and I feel that sometimes, and I sense that because of the questions that I get often asked, in, especially in youth meetings and adults meetings, um, um, how can I have a full life with the responsibilities and still be spiritual, still be close to God? So I think that we have a little bit of a schism, a little bit of a, a gap because of the frequency with which we learn about the saints and we read fathers' sayings and we quote the fathers and we use the fathers, most of them are monks and priests um, as role models, sometimes we get a bit of a, a disappointment in our spiritual life. We think we, we read and hear and quote fathers that used to kind of levitate when they are praying, like St. Francis of Assisi or people, fathers that had their hands light up when they pray, uh, fathers that uh, would be anchorites that go and be in two places at the same time or go from one place to the other in, in a blink of an eye. And then we look at our spiritual life. We're just struggling to focus in mass or struggling to uh, just read a couple of chapters from the Bible at the end of the day. And we think that we just, our, this lackluster spiritual life that we have is just very far from what we want to be. And that kind of gives us this disappointment that I will never be able to live a fulfilling life spiritually or in general unless I'm a, a monk or a priest. Sometimes you think maybe the only way is just to go to the monastery. Maybe the only way is to become a priest. Maybe these are the ones that are able to connect really with God. But in this life, I've got my wife, I've got my kids, I have to do this, I have to go to work every day. I kind of read the Bible on the run, I pray quickly because I have so much to do, maybe this is not conducive to be a, being able to behold God and live godly. And of course this is, cannot be furthest from the truth because like the Father says, St. Irenaeus says that true Christianity is a life fully lived, a normal life, a life like your life, like my life. It's a life fully lived. Christ says in, in, in John 10.10, that he has come so that we may have life and live it abundantly, not have a monasterian life, not a Presbyterian life or a priesthood life, a life and live it fully. So living a life fully is true spirituality. So how do we do that? How do we manage to live a full life with responsibilities, with uh, commitments, 
with time limitations and at the same time being able to f- live a fully fulfilling spiritual life as well. And that's, I thought that this what might be uh, a good uh, topic to discuss with you in the next uh, few weeks. I think that every single one of us needs a few things in life. We need meaning, we need fulfillment, we need identity, we need freedom, and we need hope. So in the next three or four or five weeks, it depends how quickly you get bored of me, uh, we will see how we're going to, maybe if I feel that these guys cannot take anymore, we might amalgamate a couple of topics together. Today we might be able to do meaning and, and, um, and fulfillment. We'll see how it goes. But at the end of this few talks, probably by the end of January, we want to be able to together have a clear understanding from a secular apologetic point of view as in when you're discussing with somebody in an apologetic way how Christianity offers fulfillment and from a religious Coptic Orthodox point of view how Christianity offers fulfillment that surpasses or meaning that surpasses or identity or hope that surpasses anything else that is offered in in this life. How can we, Rauf and Emma and David and Marco, be able to live a fulfilling life, not just Father Lazarus, El Antoni or Abunabshoi Kamil or St. Anthony or all these people that we look up to. And that's why we're going to try to uh, um, just um, cut out these topics into four or five topics. And I'll try as much as possible to just discuss a few ideas in half an hour or so. And then the real benefit will be in us trying to challenge each other's ideas and see what we can take home uh, from these discussions. Um, So today we'll start with the first one or two components, which is finding meaning plus or minus fulfillment, as in plus or minus in time, but meaning will always come with fulfillment and fulfillment will come with happiness and satisfaction. Um, Of course, we are in school holidays now, school and university holidays, and um, the, the pluses of being in holidays for us specifically is to spend more time with the family. And this is always great and lovely. Uh, the minuses uh, of having to spend a lot of time with, uh, with the girls uh, is having to watch reruns of things like Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, which I know now the intro by heart. Because the, the problem with Netflix is that you don't watch an episode, you watch uh, two years of Fresh Prince. I mean, it is funny, but two years or like 17 episodes in a row can be a bit too much. Um, so this is one of the minuses, of it, but it's fun as well. So amongst all these Fresh Prince of Bel-Air that I've watched, I've watched a movie with, uh, I, I think it's kind of um, titled Mystery Slash Horror um, with Faith. Emma wouldn't watch that because she's not keen on watching horror. Uh, so I watched a, a movie called uh, Bird Box. Have you heard? Have you, have you, has anybody seen Bird Box? Sandra Bullock? No? This, this story, uh, the story uh, uh, goes like that. I mean, it's a, a very unfulfilling movie anyway, but it, uh, it's about this um, vague power that inver- invades Earth 
and we don't see this power, we don't know what this power is, but whatever happens, whatever, whatever situation is, this power, once you see it, you cannot help but kill yourself. So you see something, and you have to kill yourself. Um, so the movie goes uh, uh, that way, where they have uh, the uh, run around, the mother and her two kids, um, and of course they have to run away from this power by not seeing this power. They have to keep their blindfold wherever they are, and the whole movie is their quest of getting into this kind of village where people have, have managed to survive this power. Um, and they go to this village, and everybody there is able to, to, to have, have been able to survive it. And they found, find that the only reason that they have been able to survive it was that they are all blind, like biologically blind for some reason. That's the, the only reason that they survive. And it's like a compound where everybody's alive. Some of them are blind, some of them uh, um, have blinded themselves. And uh, um, the girls always claim that I have a bit of a spiritual take on all movies. This one, th what I couldn't help but think, you know, is they tell me, oh, Superman, you always think, oh, this is about uh, Christ, and he's the Superman, and so on and so forth. So no matter what it is, my take on this from a spiritual point of view, or from a religious point of view, is that I think that the negative power that is, whenever you, once you see it, you kill yourself is a meaningless existence. So once we realize, not we, but once one realizes that their existence in this world has no meaning, the pain of existence is so much to the extent that you cannot bear to exist. So life without existence is not only pointless, but it can be painful as well. And this is something that is not new. People from the olden days, from the time of the Greek philosophers, Aristotle and uh, Plato and the Epicureans, always claimed that there is a logic to this universe. There is a, a meaning behind the universe. There is a meaning, an intrinsic meaning behind our existence. And we have to search to find this meaning. Because if you can align your existence along the grains of this universe, then your life will be the most fulfilling life. If your existence is against the grain, then the life will be the most miserable life in the world. And that's why they always claim, Plato especially claimed that there is a logic to our existence. You just have to find it. Whether finding it means that you have to live um, uh, an ethereal life or living um, a life of, um, of uh, transcendence or live a life of poverty, whatever the, 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 the philosophy is, there's a few things that you have to do in order to align yourself with these principles. And if you do, then the you will get in touch with this logic of your existence and your life will be uh, meaningful and fulfilling. On the other hand, this world that we live in, this secular world that we live in, that claims that our existence is nothing but just a coincidence, drums in every single day that because our existence was just a coincidence, then there cannot be an intrinsic meaning to the world because the meaning is 
something that happened at random. It just happens um, that some fishes had some certain kind of group of legs that managed to evolve into feet and so on and so forth, kind of jumping a few links in, in evolution theory there. And we ended up having this life that we have now. So it's basically an evolution situation. And of course, because it is a random existence, this random existence cannot have an intrinsic meaning. Well, we all agree that has to be an intrinsic meaning because everybody knows that life without meaning is painful. Not just from uh, bird box, but like if you've heard of some uh, writer, bestseller, New York writer, his name is uh, Atul Gwanda. He wrote a book called The Becoming Mortal. Becoming, this book states that there was, he's, he's uh, uh, talking about a special experiment that, um, that was done in nursing homes where this guy, um, without taking permission or anything, went and built some kind of an enclosure in every single floor of uh, the nursing home that he uh, uh, used to look after. So in one floor, he put a plants kind of enclosure. In other one, he put some dogs and cats. In another one, he put some parrots. And he found that the deaths dropped within one year to 20%. So in, tw in one year, the deaths dropped by 20%. The usage of psychotropic drugs and antipsychotic drugs dropped by 50%. Just because the elderly people managed to find some meaning, something to live for, some purpose in their life, whether it's feeding a parrot or looking after a dog or looking after a cat or, um, or uh, uh, watering some plants. But eventually, they found that there's something that they're living for beyond their mere existence. And this prolonged their life because they knew that there's something to live for. Uh, one of the books that we often talk about and, and uh, we mention often in church, The Man's Search for Meet Meaning by, by Viktor Frankl. You've heard of Viktor Frankl, the book. Um, we, always we often talk about him. This, this guy, for the ones who don't know, this guy was in the concentration cap camps uh, um, in Germany, Auschwitz especially, and um, what kept him alive was writing a book about what kept everybody alive. So it was really an interesting book, and it's a very, very nice book to read. Uh, not too technical, but has got a lot of principles that are uh, uh, very much what we always talk about. And, um, and this guy, Viktor Frankl, managed to delineate two types of people. The people that had lost hope in everything and people that lived for something, lived for something beyond themselves, lived for their family, or lived for um, um, uh, their research. That um, another, A guy that was with him, there was, he was waiting to finish his research back in his country. So, and he found that this, this, these two groups of people, the ones that had a meaningful living, they managed to survive adversity and um, poverty and hunger and sickness and, and typhus and all these things that they had. And the people that had no meaning, they died very, very quickly. So clearly there has to be a meaning in life. The question is whether this meaning, this is the first question that we want to answer today. Is this meaning an intrinsic meaning, like the philosophers say, and like we say, we say that 
in, in the Gospel, according to St. John, first sentence, in the beginning, there was the logic. So the word, the word is a, is a very simple translation to the word logos. Logos is a very kind of heavy laden kind of philosophical question uh, and answer at the same time. So he's saying that at the beginning there was the logic, the word, the, the reason for everything, the meaning of everything. At the beginning there was the logos and the logos was with God and the logos was God. Everything was made by him and without him nothing was made that had been made. So he's saying, St. John, along all the philosophers, that this world that we live in has got an intrinsic meaning, an intrinsic logic, an intrinsic way of usage. And if you use it the way that it's supposed to be, according to the Logos who made it, then everything will make sense and everything will fall in place. On the other hand, the secular world is saying, I agree with you, you need meaning, you need a purpose, for life to continue and for life to be livable. But because this is a random world that just came by chance, one in 660 to the power, one, 10 to the power of six with, with 60, one to the 60 zeros, but it's, it just came by chance anyway, there cannot be an intrinsic meaning to the world. But because we need meaning, or else we're just going to die prematurely because we're going to kill ourselves just like Sandra Bullock's movie out of pity and out of sadness then we have to impose a meaning on our existence the meaning can be some humanitarian work the meaning can be a family the meaning can be a wife and kids the meaning can be somebody that I fall in love in and the meaning of my life to me would be him falling in love with me back um, success in certain field, um, achieving a certain degree, curing cancer, all good stuff. But the question is, can this imposed meaning be fulfilling enough or what we postulated today, there cannot be a fulfilling meaning without God? That's what I'm asking you. And why? What do you think? Did you go to sleep? Can there be a fulfilling meaning without God? Can your life be meaningful without God? Can your life be meaningful by imposing meaning on it without having an intrinsic meaning like us Christians say, and Epicureans, and uh, Aristotelians, and uh, Platonians? What do you think? Yes. And there's many Bible verses that talk about that. Yes. But from a non-Christian or even a non-religious perspective, some people will find some form of meaning, yes. some form of satisfaction, but it's only lifelong. It won't be, because as Christians, we look forward to the afterlife. Yes. To eternal life. But for us, there's that goal in front of us all the time. For somebody, their whole goal in life might be like accepted. And that might give them some form of satisfaction. But there's different levels of satisfaction. And that's not spiritual satisfaction. It's work-related satisfaction. Mm. And only can you so much. But I think there's deeper levels to satisfaction. 
Yeah, absolutely right, John. But let's take the afterlife out of the equation and just debate it from a logical, secular point of view. What's wrong with having just simply a, a life devoted to my family? And without God in it. Yeah. Well, how? What is that? Can that be meaningful enough to me? Okay. What we're postulating that, even from a secular point of view, having an imposed a self-imposed meaning to my life, like family, cannot be satisfactory enough. We, are you saying that it can be satisfactory enough or not? I'm saying it could be, yes, from a secular perspective. But it really depends on the individual. Mm. So for one person, they might totally dedicate their family. Their family is their world. And they'll do everything Now, uh, we're not talking about yeah. what an individual might feel. Yeah. I might think that um, that fishing is my life and I'm fishing happily day in and day out and my life is fulfilling. But we're talking about logical people. Okay? So some people might try to believe that being living in a family might be the ultimate in it. But in general, the consensus is that most people will not. I'll, I'll read you um, a quote by uh, Tolstoy, the writer. You've heard of Tolstoy? Yeah? Yeah, Russian? He says... He was questioning his existence. Tolstoy, writer, uh, well-known, um, was uh, a very close friend to the Tsar of Russia, um, accolades, everything. So whatever kind of meaning that you would get from the world, he had. So he says, the question brought me to the edge of the abyss. What will come of what I do today and tomorrow? What will come of my entire life? Why should I wish for anything or do anything? Is there anything in my life that will not be destroyed by my inevitable approaching death? My deeds will be soon forgotten, sooner or later. Why then do anything? It is possible to live as long as life intoxicates us. But once we are sober, we cannot help but realize that it is all a delusion. There's nothing funny or witty about it all. It's a cruel and stupid life. So, sooner or later, what Tolstoy is saying, that sooner or later, whatever meaning that I'm imposing on life, it will have to come to an end. And that's the first premise. I'm going to try to prove to you today that... 
a life meaning without God cannot be rational and cannot be durable. And then we'll talk about how our life in Christ is the only durable, meaningful existence. So the first thing Tolstoy is saying is that it cannot be rational. The reason having an imposed meaning, because logically, you know, and I know, that every single thing that you're going to do in this world eventually will perish, until you perish yourself. So if your life is all about your family, you will eventually be disappointed. Like hundreds of mothers that come to me crying because their kids haven't called them on Christmas Day or New Year's Day or their birthday or whatever. Hundreds of boys and girls that come and they are in depression because of failed relationship. Heaps of people that come because of huge deep disappointment because of certain careers or certain jobs or certain relationships that they thought that if only I can achieve this, my life will have meaning. If only I can get that, my, my life will have meaning. If I can get to this extent, if I can have my family, if I can, my kids can grow, if my kids can go through year 12, if I can pass this disease, if I can cure this, or I can achieve this type of money level or this security level, my life will start to have meaning. And it never ends. The disappointment never ends. There's a, a, a French writer, his name is Albert Camus. This French writer was talking about a Greek uh, myth by, have uh, uh, you heard the story of Sisyphus? Sisyphus from Greek mythology is a guy that did the ultimate sin. This ultimate sin is revealing uh, divine secrets to mortals. So he had to be punished and his punishment had to be worse than death. So the punishment was that he had to roll a big boulder all day long till the top of the hill and at the end of the day, uh, an invisible force did what? Pushed the rock back downhill again. And he had to do the same thing from the beginning of the day, rolling the, the boulder up the hill for eternity. And this guy, Albert Camus, is saying that our existence, regardless of how much you achieve, whether you're existence is simply looking after your family or you on a local level or curing a, a malignant disease, it will always be like Sisyphus where you just continue to push the boulder up the hill for you to be disappointment, disappointed at the end of the day, at the end of the month, at the end of the year or at the end of your life because of your eminent mortality. And this guy, Albert Camus also said that the only way, the only way that your existence will make sense if your existence, if your existence will extend beyond your mere existence. If your limited existence has got some unlimited effect. And the only way that this will make sense if that there is a connection with something outside the physical limited reality of a secular world. So this is number one. Number two reason for um, stating that a meaningful existence cannot be in all these things that we, we said, not just that it's irrational, but it's non-durable as well. 
What does it mean, uh, non-durable? Non-durable means that the idea of making your work or your family or your career, the meaning of your life, not only does it make sense, but it will fizzle away at the first turn, at the first moment where you find some adversity or struggle, you will lose the plot. It will not be meaningful anymore. So going back to the book that Viktor Frankl wrote, The uh, Man's Search for Meaning, he said that one of, the, one of the lessons, there was three or four lessons in the whole book, but the first lesson is that if you have the why, the why as in the, the reason to exist, then anyhow will not change your direction. So he's saying that if you have the reason to exist, if you have a real strong reason to exist, then when you are met by suffering, this reason will not waver. The suffering will not stop you. If the reason is weak, it will. So if the reason is my family, I have to work for my family, I have to be good for my friends, I have to do this for my career, I have to do this for my uh, this or that, you will always think when you are met with kind of ingratitude from your family or not good feedback from your superintendent or you haven't managed to get to the cure of cancer after 20 or 30 years, suffering will always make you return to the initial meaningless, meaningless point. In comparison to finding meaning in God, where suffering itself can make sense because you know that the suffering that you have is going to be, it's going to have positive repercussions in your next life. Suffering itself will not be endless. If you think that your existence is, this, is just simply mere existence on earth, then suffering will never make sense. But if there is an ultimate aim for the suffering, an ultimate meaning for the suffering, then suffering will not take away the meaning for your existence. There was, um, there was the story that Viktor Frankl wrote about um, finding meaning in suffering. And even though that it's not about the afterlife, but it just shows how not only suffering with meaning will be durable, but it can make sense as well. So this guy came to him, uh, he's, he was mentioning this when he was doing uh, counseling somebody. A guy made, uh, his wife died and he was devastated. Non-stop crying and, and, and suffering day in and day out and he went to him and um, said, I'm suffering, I cannot get her out of my mind and it's just uh, too much and I cannot bear to live anymore, I just want to die. So uh, Viktor Frankl told him, do you think if your wife had survived you, if you had died before her, do you think you, she would have suffered the same way? He said, yeah, I think she would. So he said that then your suffering had saved her the suffering that she would have suffered if she were in your place. And Viktor Frankl uh, writes in the book that this guy looked at him, smiled, shook his hand and said, thank you very much. That's fixed up everything. And he got out of the room and he never saw him again. Hopefully he did not commit suicide. But it, just, it makes sense to me that, uh, that this kind of, just when you look at it that way, that suffering, him, his suffering has saved his wife's suffering. My suffering is building me crown in heaven. My suffering 
is sometimes my vocation, like uh, Father Thomas Hopko is saying, which I might, uh, we might have time to discuss. Um, everything starts to make sense. Just uh, another couple of points, and, and then we will start uh, uh, having some questions. So this is why imposed reason doesn't work. The universe, the only way that our existence will have meaning is if it has got intrinsic meaning beyond our existence, like John said, beyond our life on earth. So what's the solution? Why, why, what's what, what the solution that Christ offers? It is still in the book of John. So first chapter, we read in the first verse, uh, in the beginning there was the Logos, and the Logos was God, and the Logos was God, and all, everything was made by him, and so on. And then we go on to verse 7 and after, and he says, And the word became man, and dwelt with us, and we have seen his glory. And this is the explanation. So Christianity tells us that the Logos, the meaning, the intrinsic meaning of our existence, number one, is not a set of principles, it's what? It's a person. It's a person. So I don't have to think like Epicureans or Aristotelians or Platonians, um, okay, there are certain principles I have to abide by for me to be able to have meaning in my life. No, it is a person. I just have to become one with. I have to become one with him by talking to him, by hearing him, by knowing him and by eating him. Just become one with him. So the first thing is the logos, the logic, the meaning of our existence is a person. Number two, we are not searching for it. We're not imposing it. And the word became man and dwelt. He came and dwelt. The, 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 the word is tabernacled. He came and became one of us and stayed with us, tabernacled with us. Just like in the time of the tabernacle where the, the light of the Shekinah used to come on the tabernacle and it used to light up and by the light they used to know that God has descended and he's talking to Moses. So God has become man and dwelt with us and we have seen his glory. So the second principle is that I'm not searching for it. He, is, he has searched for me. He came for me. So I become one with him. He came to show me love. This is actually a third principle, second principle in Viktor Frankl's book is that our ultimate aim or existence is to love and to feel loved. The third that I want to tell you about quickly today is that the Logos is a, man, is, is, is a person. The Logos comes for us. The third thing is that seeing the glory of the Logos makes everything make sense, makes everything meaningful, here on earth and in heaven. One of the most interesting chapters that you read from Father Alexander Schmemann in his book, uh, For the Life of the World, the first chapter, he's, he's telling us how there is a bit of a schism in even the minds of the religious people that there is the love, the purity, the graciousness, the blessedness of the church world and there is the evil, the desecration, the maliciousness of the world. And he's saying that this is not true and this is not true. He's saying that God saw that everything was good before sin. And he's saying that in us living in the world and consuming the world, 
when God created man, he told, he told him uh, multiply and propagate and so on and so forth. And then his second order was eat. From all the tree, eat. So Father Alexander Schmeling is saying that by saying eat, we are consuming this world. And by consuming this word, we are glorifying God and purifying the word itself. We are sanctifying the world. So by living in this world, this world becomes sanctified and becomes the materialistic becomes spiritual the limited becomes unlimited yes yes and psalms yes absolutely absolutely because sometimes we grapple with the verse of how can we be of this world and the bible says do not be of this world do not love the world or anything in it when the bible is telling us that he's talking about the fallen world but sometimes we have got this misconception that the sacraments sacraments the, the, the Eucharist or baptism the sacraments what it does is restricted to changing us only and this is a very limited view of the sacraments the fathers tell us that the sacraments has a personal effect on me and in my relationship to God of course but they say that the sacraments has an, a cosmic effect as well in purifying the world. One of the fathers, Stephen Freeman, uh, from the Greek church, he says that the sacraments, like baptism, for instance, not only renews the baby or renews me when I go into the baptismal font, but it sanctifies the water of the world. By praying on the water, it is sanctifying the water of the world. Not that every bit of water in the world has become kind of uh, 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 fit for baptism, but it has renewed the world as well. So the sacrament itself, seven sacraments or the mysteries, because every single thing that the church does is a mystery. This mysteries that we do in the church through the prayers, through the reading the Bible, through all the sacraments, not only changes us, but has got a cosmic effect on nature, on reality itself. And it renews reality and makes reality more meaningful. So the third reason that Christ can offer meaning that nothing else can is that by us connecting with him, then the limited becomes unlimited. We already established that we are plagued by the sadness of being limited. But by connecting with him on a sacramental level, the limited becomes unlimited. The natural becomes spiritual. And the physical becomes celestial. Every single thing changes by us connecting with him, especially on a sacramental level. And that's why things will only change if we have a, a new look on that. And if this does not happen deeply, not only imposing meaning on the world will fail, but even a Christian who is in the world, who is in the church, can live an, a meaningless life. See, we can be living in the, in the church and still treating our spiritual life as a secular life. So the point that I want to, 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 to want you to take home today is we have to sooner or later realize 
that a created meaning is going to be ending up with pain. Number two, the only way that our life will be meaningful and fulfilling is if, and maybe we'll discuss this fulfillment next time, is if we realize our calling and only then the meaning will turn into fulfillment. God willing, we'll discuss that next time. So, any questions? Or I'm going to ask you a question. Yes, you have to take the Bible as a whole. Yes. Um, so everything that uh, I think from this perspective, everything under the sun is the same as meaningless. But uh, is he being into that uh, to the central world, or is he being more? I don't know, no, no, I get your point. I, I think that we 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 read uh, about King Solomon, and we know what he went through the phases that he went through and at this phase at the end of his life he realized after all he's built after all he's had all the relationships that he's had all the food that he's had is that what he did was go on a tangent and try to find pleasure fulfillment satisfaction and ultimate meaning in these experiences and then he realizes that this is vanity or meaninglessness or like the, 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 the Hebrew word is havel. Havel means havel, which is stupidity. So he's saying that if you're trying to find meaning in food or abundance or relationships, this will always come and end up in a disaster, end up in people killing themselves like in the movie Bird Box. Because there will be no fulfillment. There will be no meaning at the end. That's why he came to this realization. There is no benefit. There is no benefit under the sun. The problem is that when us as Christians in the church try to live some religious secularism so we are in church and we come and we have communion we have confession and we serve and we attend and so on and so forth but really this is just to have some emotional impact on us but our main main meaning is still a secular meaning that's the problem because the secular person will eventually come to a dead end and say I thought my life will have meaning when I raise my family and now my family have all left me. There has to be more meaning. And then they start searching for meaning and they might find God. The problem is us being vaccinated, like C.S. Lewis says, by some superficial religiousness where I satisfy my 
um, mental intellect by saying, no, 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 I know that this is not it, relationship is not it, uh, my fiancé is not it, my wife and kids is not it, it is God and that's why I'm coming to church. But really, what occupies my mind all the time is the secular stuff, is the wife and the kids and the work and so on and so forth. And God is just a mere kind of uh, um, uh, conscious, satisfying, uh, uh, marginal thing. That's, that's the problem. That's the pitfall that we fall in. Hmm. Any other questions? I didn't quite understand what you meant by when we consume the world but become spiritual. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, thanks for asking this question. That's, that's also something that is, um, is a tough one. What, what Alexander Schmengen is saying, Father Alexander Schmengen is saying that he's talking about um, uh, Homo sapiens, mm. saying that God created man on his image and likeness. And man, he gave him the name Homo glorificus. So the man, his main meaning of existence is to connect with God and glorify God. So he's saying you cannot live in two levels. Um, a spiritual level where you pray to God and you read his word and you have communion and so on. And then you have also a materialistic life where you are eating and drinking and, and um, doing all the other materialistic stuff. He said, your materialistic life itself is and should be the way you connect with God. Where you're eating and drinking the world. He's saying that God has given you the world as the banquet and the theme of the banquet con continues all the way to Revelation. So when the world becomes your banquet, he says, go ahead, multiply, have a wife, have kids, eat and drink and enjoy the world. He's saying that by doing this, if you are doing that just for the sake of enjoyment, then you will be like King Solomon, who are eventually going to say vanity of vanities. But if you're doing that, you're consuming the world and you're consuming it to get to know me to glorify me. So all what you're doing when you're eating and drinking and having a, a wife and kids and working, all your intentions is to glorify God and to connect with God every single time you meet a person, you are seeing a son of God. You eat an apple, you're seeing a creation of God. You're looking at sunrise, you're seeing God's work in the universe. You're hearing the sound of the wound, you're hearing God. Every single thing translates into God. So are you basically consuming the world, whether it's by eating or hearing or smelling? It translates into God. Then you are changing the physical into spiritual. So, uh, to try and understand it. So, say an act of, of uh, taking responsibility for your family, that could be a shallow religious act where you're just being... It can be a, it can be a very profound religious act. But yes, but, but I mean, so could doing that for the right reasons, recognizing God's place in it, be consuming the world? like Absolutely. So, so spot on. Family, You're spot on. So he's saying that our life, if it is merely, if the meaning is coming from looking after your family, you're going to be disappointed. But if you're looking after your family because this is God in it, you are glorifying God for the gift that he's given you, and you are thinking, how can I be responsible enough to be the priest of the family or glorifying God in, in the, the, the food that I eat, that then you are consuming the world and changing it into a spiritual realm.
Any other question? Okay, just last one point before you run about the issue of disappointment that I started with. And this is something that happens often that I just want to leave you with. Sometimes we get a spiritual disappointment because we're not looking to find meaning in our spiritual um, practices. Like we, we talked about Solomon and he was trying to find enjoyment in certain practices. And he uh, uh, got disappointed. Sometimes, if you are looking for an experience in church, an emotional experience, then you will be disappointed as well and you're going to lose meaning. So if you are looking for a certain emotional fulfillment, so if you say that that um, uh, I want to, let's, uh, um, from a servant's point of view, let's dim the lights or let's, uh, let's uh, get some more food or let's, if it is an emotional experience they're looking for in mass or in a service, then you will always be disappointed and you will find that your spiritual life is not going forward because you're looking for these experiences. There's nothing wrong with having uh, uh, nice music or nice hymns or dimming lights or bringing food after meetings and so on and so forth. But there has to be a stage where you're here not because of the experience. Because if you're looking after experience, you will never get to a meaning. Father Stephen Freeman, I just quoted, says, people who live by experience die by experience. If you're always looking for a certain experience when you pray, a certain kind of warm and fuzzy feeling, you will eventually get disappointed because you're not going to get this experience all the time. If you look at a certain experience when you read the Bible, if you're looking for a certain experience when you confess, people who live by experience die by experience. People that are waiting for this emotionally rewarding feeling when they are trying to connect with God in church or at home, will get disappointed because they are looking for the emotional reward in the experience. He says that this emotional thing, even though it's not bad, but it should not be the aim in the connection with God in our religious practices. He says that this emotional satisfying feeling that we get sometimes when certain things are done is like salt, fat, and sugar to food. It might make things feel better, but it's, never, it's not going to have an nutritional value. So for us to have meaning and for us to connect, we should pursue a real deep connection regardless of the emotional factor. And then you will be able to get to a real deep meaning that is going to be unshakable. And glory be to God forever.